Welcome to the Market Tech, the podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Market Tech is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers, we got two of them today, that own the function. So today's a, it's a special edition show. We're coming to you from the Win-Loss Week conference hosted by my friends at Closed. And the Win-Loss Week conference, it's all about, well, just winning and how to win more. Building a product is one thing, but building a robust go-to-market strategy for that product and then positioning it to win it's a whole new ball game and, and, it, and it can be very complex for many organizations. So today we brought in the renowned go-to-market expert, Sangram, and two tip top chief marketing officers, Amanda and Kyle, as they are going to share their perspectives on both how they develop their go-to-market strategy and then how they position to win. Everyone ready? Let's go. Yes. Let's All do it. right. Thanks. Thanks for being here. So let's, Sangram, let's start with you. Let's start with just the basics because go to market means many things to many people. What is go to market? That's the question we asked about over 100 people. Uh, I, I think, Dal, you were probably one of those people that, that we had that conversation with. Uh, and the best answer I got was from Brian Hellinger, uh, who was then the CEO of HubSpot at that time. And he said, to him, go to market is like a product. It was the most succinct answer I get him down from anybody. But like a product. And here's why. But most people think go to market is a product launch or a sales channel, or they just look at all these things. But he's like, look, I, the CEO of publicly traded company, I own go to market. He's like, I know nobody knows things. So he goes, that's true. But that's true. CEO is going to be able to go to market. But here's the thing. He said, I think about it like a product. It's not a strategic planning meeting. That's vision casting. That's goals, plan goals, and all those things. But what really matters is, are we going to open up the office in Europe? Or are we going to do it in America? Are we going to hire salespeople? Or are we going to give them budget to marketing? These are all of we have to challenges. So I start to figure out how I can as the CEO. I have to constantly figure out, okay, what is my good market? And so I have to think about it like a product. It's iterative. It's changing. Every week, something might change. And that's what go-to-market is. It's not something you do for early. Do that on very regular pitch. Uh, it is very, very seldom that Sangra misses anything. But Amanda, Kyle, did he miss anything there? A different take on what go-to-market is? I mean, I like the, I like thinking about it as a product. I mean, to me, it's it's um, it's your plan to win. And I kind of like it, the idea of it as a product. I say win because revenue is one outcome of go-to-market, but it's not the only outcome. And there are different businesses who that looks different for. But the idea of a product that is this living, breathing thing that needs both process and outputs, I think is is really interesting. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it's a plan and an output that helps you win. Brilliant. The Winning, point, not think, about a, revenue. I, I love yeah. that. Sorry, Kyle. I I... I'm going to make sure I tell my leadership that uh, next time I meet with them. But uh, there is more ways to measure winning than just revenue. But Kyle, sorry, I cut you off there. No, I, the only thing else I would add there is that it's it's a lot. It also plays into alignment. Like a go-to-market strategy needs to connect the entire exec team. And I think that's why it's so important, which is why it's, 
you know, when I heard Brian's uh, answer, when Sangram first told me, it was like, yeah, I, I need to change what I told him. I don't even remember what I told you, Sangram, but it's really, <laughs> it's really the C, it's the CEO's responsibility to, to drive mm -hmm. go to market because it aligns to the exec team. And for all of us, the exec team is your first team and you need to align yeah. with them. Yeah, then, and if I could add to that style, I think what's also interesting, I think I'm a student of go-to-market. Like, really, I like before writing the move book, I thought I knew go-to-market. I was so full of it. Like, I thought I got it. I knew it go-to-market. I've done that at Farnot and Salesforce. And mm -hmm. like, I know what it is. Man, I, I, could, I feel like I know less of go-to-market now than I did uh, two years ago when the book and the research started. I've just, just become a student of it. There's more things, like, you think about product-led growth as an example of it. Where is, how are you solving that right now through the funnels? And how are you doing that through the double button? You, you can't because product is not even part of the game. If you think about the new go-to-market strategy that is now prevalent right now on B2B. So there's so many things. But to your point, Kyle, what was really interesting to me going through this process, especially in the last six months, for, by doing it for several companies, we are talking about and sharing people this idea of cash which is clarity, alignment, and team. If, if you have clarity, you can be clear, not complete, not know every answer to the question, not every input output, but just be clear. This is what needs to happen. And if you can get aligned, which is where I love what Sydney Sloan uh, uh, taught me, she said, it's better to be aligned than to be right. Better to be aligned than to be right. And I was like, that is so good. There's like clarity, alignment, and the team. So thought what you say is echoed in that, and I'm seeing that every day. You are a smooth cat, Sanger. I'm sure. But yeah, if anybody loves cat, they're going to love it. If they hate cat, they're going to hate cat. Oh, I, I'm loving cat. So I mentioned at the top of the show, creating a product is easy enough, but then building a great company, having the discipline to take that product to market is vastly more challenging. And the keys to successfully conquering that challenge is go-to-market strategy. And when you think about go-to-market strategy, there's there's two, two components. There's the team that you need, and then there's a disciplined process. Let's first start with the team, and then we'll get to the process second. Sangram, let's stay with you for a second. In your just phenomenal Wall Street's best-selling book on go-to-market move, you assert that the CEO owns go-to-market, so first, why? And then if so, what's the role of Amanda, Kyle as CMO and their counterpart, the uh, chief revenue officer? Yeah, they're fired. Clearly, when a when CEO owns it, and the reason is because of the decision, I think we all have to add on my mindset around what go to market is. It is no longer what I used to think. Oh, we have a new product. I'm creating a product launch and go to market is how you're going to take this product to market. Like that's what I thought about. And in many ways, all we're often in a new office, the region, and we, we looked at it so myopically that that was it. And I think what, what all of it, big meta with another CEO being interviewed and, and Kelly Forms, that is at Parker's, but we see that wonderful exits. And they all educated me on this when we write in the research for the book is that the reason CEO owns it because they're making every decision that you make is go-to-market decision. And, and we all have to understand that. We, it's not part of the job title of CEO, but that is part of their job is to make go-to-market decisions. We may not call it go-to-market decision. 
hiding more marketing people or salespeople. Or right now, that the thing that I feel in board meetings that I'm in is this idea of efficient growth. Everybody's talking about, yeah, we, we can't just grow that at all costs. They have efficient growth. Well, what, what does that mean? And CEO has to define it. That's the reason why I think CEO has to own it. Um, but the other part of how do you go about it and what the role of a CMO is, CMOs are the most strategic people on the executive team. Like, I think that goes beyond saying, and then the reason is that's your entire role as CMO. Me, I've been a CMO multiple times and recognize that. Because if CRO or revenue officer is trying to get, I'd like to get to this Florida this month and, and I'm going to get the ramps to a month sales. So they're thinking strategically, but really tactically a lot of it. Everybody else is doing so much operational. CML is the person who actually can take a step back and say, you know what, where are we going? Let me, let me create a plan. Let me think through it. Let me strategize it. CMOs have the best ability to look at the customers and say, let me look at what thing that customers what they experience is they have access to so much data now, almost 70, 80% of the budget, as we know, that they have access to all of it. So they can really strategically help not only the CEO, but the entire executive team to think about the next move that they need to make as an organization. So I feel the role of a CMO is really to be a facility. Oof. CMO is facilitator, Amanda, Kyle. Welcome your thoughts on just your own role as, as chief marketing officer in the creation of go-to-market strategy, whether at G2, Lessonly, Seismic, please. Go ahead, Amanda. Well, I, th I think, you know, I, I think a lot about who's, you know, sales is very close to the customer as his product, but I've always looked at the role of the CMO is to be sort of the voice of the customer and whatever that looks like within an organization. Um, and bringing to, to, to light for the rest of the executive team, both the insights on what's happening in the market, the insights on what's happening with customer needs and how they're evolving and the action the organization needs to take against those things. Um, and so I think that, you know, in, in part, the chief marketing officer is there to provide strategic value to the go-to-market by really representing the voice of the customer in the market in a way that all teams across the company should be close to but somebody needs to own really bringing that together to inform the actions that you're going to take as a business or importantly not take, which I think is actually more important when you're talking about go to market. What you're not going to do uh, is more important than what you're going to do. Love it. Kyle? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to agree with all that. I think that where, uh, you know, decisions have been made in the past or where it's really about who's communicating to the customer more frequently. and. Sometimes that lives in CS, sometimes it's sales, depending on if an account executive is keeping an account to, to upsell into. Where I found most alignment on a go-to-market strategy is around customer marketing in general. And because it's the one, it's the one campaign or strategy, however you want to frame it, that involves almost every part of the org, you know, it, Really, I think all go-to-market strategies involve the whole org, but really the customer side of it, I think, is set, has aligned everyone and needs to align everyone in order to do it properly. And that could be, what's our next, pro our next product we need to build? Or, you know, what, what type of cohort do we need to focus on? You know, there's tons of stuff that you could think of when it comes to customer, but I found that no matter if it's a 250-person company or a 1,700-person company, the customer is the one that centralizes a lot of the conversation on the exact team. And I think that's part of go-to-market. 
Brilliant. So we covered the team. We know what the CEO does. He owns it. The CMO, that's your facilitator, your galvanizer. And then the chief revenue officer is more of your orchestrator, if you, yeah. if you will. Let's move on to process. So Sangram, back to you. Now that we understand what go-to-market is, the roles, can you share a framework, a simple framework to approach and build the go-to-market strategy? Totally. Yeah, I think I think this this was the the aha moment. I'll, I'll like I'll tell you this is squint story. When we were doing the research for this book, I had about 50, 55 questions that we had. All right, who owns it? What is it? What is part of it? Like I'm literally on a spreadsheet of questions. And then I'm all these people I'm interviewing, right? And it got to a point I'm like, there's just no way I can put this and it will make sense. Like it just doesn't like I didn't put 50 questions and it was going to sit and, and go through 50 questions, right? What was super exciting and thank God for that, that it came down to the four questions and that became the name of the book, Moves. That no matter what stage a style's at, small to large, you're still wrestling with the, those same questions. Your answers will be different based on the stage of the stage of your company, but the questions are still the same. And that was like a big aha moment uh, for me. So it's simply the, the framework is called Move, N-O-V-E. There's market, operations, velocity, and expansion. And there'll be market operations, velocity, and questions. The market question really is, who should be marketed? Now, if you're a small company, first one product company, that's a question you ask. But you have the same question. Style it and matter you have 10 products that you're selling. You still like, what are we marketing? Are we marketing to the same persona anymore or different persona or different level? So the questions still remain the same, but your answer will change based on the stage of the business. The second is the whole idea of operations. What do you need to operate your business effectively? That's what operations is all about. So in the in an early stage company, maybe you have marketing ops or finance person running all operations for your sales ops. But as you grow, we all are hearing about revenue operations that really centralizes what business decisions do we need to make? Where do we need to invest the next hundred thousand or million dollars? And that's what you start looking at. Again, questions same as different. The third one is velocity, which is the question that everyone asks. When can you scale our business? When can we scale your business, right? That's the question is all about rent. Can your salespeople hit the quota quickly? Can your marketing person as soon as get a join great demand quickly? Can your CS person can service more customers? So it's a quota, a quota question. Like, can they get the ramps? If they hit the ramps, then you know that you can scale your business. That was a very big learning experience. And the last one, this came from uh, from from uh, from CEO, ex CEO of Exact Target, uh, Scott, like Scott Dorsey. He said that I asked him what kept you up at Exact Target and the CEO of the company every day when you thought about your company and where it was going. And this was pre acquisition. And he's like, you know, what kept me up was this question, where can we grow the most? Where can we grow the most? That was the expansion question that really stopped and think. And that's when companies start doing a position or may start going to different verticals or may start going to different persona. So those, that's a simple framework. What, what fascinates me about that is the questions are the same. You can literally take these four questions and have an executive meeting to death. And it won't change no matter what style the company is, but your answers will definitely be different. Oh, love it. For, I love the simplicity of it. So move, and then each of them has a question pertaining to it, which is, as you mentioned, market. Like, so who, 
are we going to go after? Who are we going to go serve? Operations. What do we need to operate effectively? Velocity. When can we actually scale? And then for expansion, where can we, where, where can we grow the most? Uh, I, as, as people are thinking through those four questions, you are what you measure. Can you give us some, some examples of key metrics that people should be thinking through as they set this go-to-market strategy by answering those four questions? Uh, <laughs> uh, this is so near, and I'm sure Amanda and Todd are facing this right now uh, in their organizations. Uh, I was talking to, again, it's, this, it's last week, so it's really fresh in my mind. I was talking to Yami Rangan, the CEO of HubSpot in our, in our peak community. Um, and she, I asked her, what is the one metric that you measure, that you know, that, that matters to you more than anything? And she said, and I think you all have heard that you said NRR, that is the one metric that I'm looking at. And I'm like, again, I, it, I, this is the challenge to everybody. If you're still looking at your funnels, the way you Rich, show me an ROI in that because it's, it doesn't have an ROI. So metrics have changed, go to market plays have changed. So people have to really think about how, what, what is the new way to look at it? You do have to look at it in a way. But she said an ROI, and that is consistent in all of what we have done in the research. So it was really fascinating that it has come down to so simply an ROI. It's not, it's not a fad, like just anybody think, oh, that's a new metric. No, it's revenue always. Yeah, but people are recognizing the idea of efficient growth is real. It's growth at all costs. It's not growth over anything. It's, it's actually NRR, which is a very sustainable, effective, efficient growth model for business. And that's hard. That's hard to do. And as CMOs, I think every CMO is challenged with this because that's, that's just different than what we all have been asked to do in the last decade. Love it. Efficient growth. I, the, I, we've seen the careless growth, uh, and frankly, it's been careless over the past few years. Uh, companies raising gobs of money, tech crunch articles about the hundreds of millions in Series C that we raised, and unfortunately, some of those companies are, are flaming up because, frankly, the efficient growth wasn't there. It was, it was careless growth. Now that we have the go-to-market strategy in place and every CMO, CRO worth their salt will ask, what is our go-to-market strategy and or contribute to that strategy before they take the job and, and you know, go about their role. With go-to-market strategy in hand, then they can move to, now, how do we position our company to win? And I'm biased here, but for me, the product marketer is the, is the, is the function that can truly help the chief marketing officer and the rest of the organization really position to win. And when I say win, I'm talking about an acronym. So when you ask any product marketer, what do you do? They should say, we help our companies win. And W stands for who we win with and who we win against. The I is impact. A good product marketer, they'll tell you the value that you provide your customer. A great product marketer is going to tell you the impact of that mm -hmm. value to the customer for their job to be done. And then the final N in win is narrative. Uh, and that's, that's just the, you know, this is the Steve's job effects where you bring it all together and packaging it into a beautiful narrative, a story that really resonates and, 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 and just sets you apart from your competition. So that's, that's win. And that's what product marketers can do. Amanda, I'm going to turn to you for a second here. 
Can you share at G2, a company I, I respect immensely, how you determine or how your team determines who to win with and who to win against? So it's a great question. And I think we, we evolve the way we do. Uh, we've evolved the way we do personas and positioning since I joined. I think it starts with really understanding the value of the products that you're offering and the target customer you're going against really, really well. So we actually do uh, research alongside our product team to really understand the personas we're targeting, and then we prioritize them. I think we can always improve here, but I think there's who are you selling? Who could you sell it to and who should you sell it to and really debating that. Um, and uh, so really narrowing in on the, fo the focal point of who we want to sell to and then making sure we are, you know, maniacally focused 90% of our effort on that. And then you might have some other personas, but really being really clear about where the 90% is. So we spend a lot of time defining that with product because otherwise you're, you're we're actually doing this right now. You're, de you're designing the product for an unclear persona, right? So it really has to start really, really early. And then when it comes to the competition, I always look at it as two competitors. Um, there's who you're going to be compared against. So who are you actually like, I, you look like this company. And then there's who are you competing with for the budget? And that's oftentimes not a who, but a what. And if you're sort of in an early category, the competition may be complacency or, you know, I've always done it this way or um, not understanding why this sh is a thing that deserves to exist. Right. And so we always define the competition or I do is both the, the who, the companies, and then also the what, the what's going to stand in your way and compete against getting, getting the sale or getting someone to adopt this product. Oh, Amanda, I love that. So yeah. from a competitive standpoint, you're competing. A, who you're compared to, uh, perception in the marketplace. And then the second part is just the budget that you're competing with, uh, which could be, we have no budget. We're, you know, we like to do things status quo, which is manually do nothing. I, I love that you're asking yourself competing with the budget, like for the budget. I, that, that's a brilliant question. Kyle, welcome your thoughts. I mean, uh, and lastly, it was, it was, how do we understand how to sell against status quo? Cause we were, cause it's uh we were a commercial high velocity type sale to where half the deals closed in quarter. So usually it's S and B you're dealing with. Lastly, it was training and coaching platform. You're dealing with Google docs and Google sheets. And you know, why would I want to pay more if I'm getting this for free? Right. And you had to spend a lot of time trying to understand the landmines of status quo and how to get, how to get past those and enable the sales team appropriately. At Seismix, very much trying to understand how to how to sell into our customer base. There's an enterprise sales mo. It is an enterprise sales motion, and it's really understanding what other business units within a customer would need our product, which is a little bit different than than the lessonly go to market, which was how do we find as many people as possible to buy this because it's high velocity. Seismic was a little bit more tactical in terms of. How do we sell more to our customer base because we have such large customers because it's enterprise, right? And I and I think that um, you've got a, a little bit of nuance there when you're selling into like the call center other than the sales team because it's not necessarily status quo. It's also the multitudes of different people who are involved in the buying process. And I I think product marketing plays a huge role in trying to define that. Like if you're... If I'm in the sales team at Fidelity 
and I want to get in the call center of Fidelity, how do I try to figure that out in a way that's meaningful and give the use cases and what competitors might be in there that we we didn't actually think about beforehand? And that's part of the go-to-market strategy as well. So I think it's very much dependent on on um, on who you're targeting and what segment you're targeting. Uh, some of us target everything, uh, but product marketing plays a central role in all that. For sure. Much love, Kyle. Thank you for the shout out, product marketers. Well, as yes, a matter of fact, and yeah, I, I just have <laughs> and, and one love on product marketing. Uh, I learned about what product marketing is at Salesforce. I had no respect for product marketing in my prior life as a marketing. That thought they just created data themes because I used to work for a cloud company and they used to create like, give me a one pager and you'll go to a product marketer and they would talk to a solution engineer and create that one sheet. I, and oh, I mean, but then I was at Salesforce and I saw that product marketing are the one who run the clouds. Like they, the head of product marketing uh, for the cloud is literally like the CEO of that cloud. So sales cloud, marketing cloud, they were ran by product marketing people. And for the first time, I was like, oh my God, and I, again, same thing. I walk in with my, you know, foot in my mouth pretty much. They're like, oh, I understand now what product marketing is all about. So when you see good organizations grow and become great, I think product marketing, understanding that and the role is way bigger than I think those organizations actually use them for. Right. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Product marketing, getting the love here. I, I, I appreciate that. Kyle, back to you for a quick second. Once your teams determined who to, to serve and then who you're competing against, how did the team like determine the value uh, of what you offer? And then more importantly, like the impact of that value. You know, I don't, uh, we had a hard time doing that at Leslie. Sangram, you told a story about product marketing. I was also that leader who, my number one failure at Leslie was not hiring a product marketer sooner than I did. And I think it hurt the, it hurt us moving up market in the long run. Um, Seismic was very, very different where the Eve Alexander, who's an amazing product marketer, had an entire team, right? And so the, the value truly is, and Amanda is much better at this than I am, and I want to hear what she says, but I, you know, the value is just truly understand how to sell the product to, to different types of, of an org. And at Seismic, we just saw the, the, the massive amount of value that product marketing brought to all parts of the company. And, mm-hmm. you know, Salesforce the product marketing extreme, right? And Seismic, you know, as the company gets bigger, you need it. You have to have it because it's essential to growing different product SKUs, selling to more people. If you don't have the people in place to support that, you're not going to hit 50, 100, 200 million revenue. It's just not going to happen because you don't have that. You don't have those people, the people thinking about it constantly and obsessing over it. But I'm going to throw it to Amanda because she's, done this over again and and is and is great at it <laughs> i don't i feel like it's an exercise in striving for greatness always i mean honestly good product marketing is exceptionally hard i think it's yeah. the hardest yeah. part of marketing it for is. sure 100 um, and so props to all the you're just teeing us up for all the love for product marketers <laughs> um because <laughs> we all are like failed products of product <laughs> Somehow, there needs to be an AAA group for product marketing failures. But anyway, 
Yeah. Now I'm like, what was the question again? I think it was about uh, yeah. the, the how G2 is determining just the value of what you offer your various uh, buyers uh, and then the impact of that value. How do they yeah. that value? Well, you know, that's an interesting question, particularly for a company like G2. I mean, we offer a lot of products and I think a lot of times people don't realize they think of us for reviews and that's really, that's definitely core to uh, what we provide. But I mean, we also offer buyer intent data that's hugely beneficial to demand gen marketers. And, we, you know, we offer a lot of value for customer marketers around reviews and advocacy. So I think it's an interesting question because there is a difference between products that have evolved but existed for a long time and the way that you need to evolve the value proposition and the messaging. It's almost like an art in that you're, you need to, like in this climate, for example, the value of some of our products has has evolved um, as people are starting to look for what Sangram called efficient growth. Well, now the value, the way we describe the value of buyer intent for a demand and marketer, their jobs change. So our value needs to change. So I think that, you know, the the job of defining the value proposition is, a, is an evolution, both with the product and with the market. I think for new products, though, the job is done when you define the persona and hopefully you're like Salesforce and you do it before you build the thing. Right. So I always love when products like I have this thing, let's figure out who to sell it to and what the value is. And you're like, oh, we did something backwards. Right. So good product, product marketing teams are working together up front to define the value of the thing we're going to build. Right. Earlier on. So I always just think it's funny when it's like, well, we built this thing. Now let's define the value. It's sort of backwards. But anyway. Oh, amen, Amanda. Amen. I failed to answer your question. I had a good answer and I'm sorry. But I just want to chime in. Seismic did it really well that they built, and and this is all credit to Michael Longdren, who was the CMO before me. They built in the value selling methodology within the sales team and the product marketing team. So we have an actual team at Seismic that is not sales engineers. They're like value sell. And they they only focus on how do we get the value that Seismic is delivering to a company, whether that's productivity or um, uh, onboarding or uh, you know support on the sales cycle from a content side, that's all they're thinking about. And it really helped define what it meant to bring Seismic on as a product from a monetary perspective, but also how you grow a company. And lessonly, we had some of that, but but before the acquisition, it was not quite there because product marketing, we didn't focus a lot on it. And, and seismic actually took the right way, which is why I wanted to bring it up. That that value selling methodology is highly, highly effective when it comes to especially enterprise sales. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Kyle. And we, we've had Michael on the show. I love Michael Longgren. We've had him on the show yeah. previously. And uh, he did break that down as it relates to, um, and, and I know who he brought in to actually help uh seismic create that value story but it all started with the jobs to be done amanda to your point really understanding you know customers hire us to solve their jobs to be done people have jobs to be done whether in software or anywhere else and and we need to solve that job to be done with our solution and so once we double click on that job to be done we can then better understand how are we going to solve for that problem and then the impact that our solution is going to have on that job uh, that's incrementally going to help the the actual buyer. Um, so I appreciate you bringing that up, Kyle. Let's move on to storytelling, narrative. I, I've always admired 
how G2 Seismic Lessonly, you guys have told your story. And Kyle, I remember bugging you for a very cool hoodie with the Llama logo on it when you were at, uh, at Lessonly because the story you told, I, I wanted to be part of that tribe. I, you know, admittedly, I didn't buy your solution, but I wanted to be part of that tribe because you guys well, built no. <laughs> a wonderful brand. Um, so, you know, with impact, value in hand, how is your teams conveying the narrative? Um, what is your approach to storytelling? And it could be at your existing organizations or, or, or previously. How are you telling stories, both internally, and we don't want to forget about the internal stakeholders, and externally to your to your customers? Lessonly was very different than Seismic. Lessonly, we didn't fit in a category. So we told the story based off of our mission statement, which was we help people do better work so they can live better lives. And the entire, the entire mission, vision, values, it very much played into Ben Horowitz's, like the company's story is the company's strategy. And it, we lived that out pretty, pretty effectively from a, from a growth perspective and a revenue perspective. Seismic's a little bit different because we fit a cat, we built a category, sales enablement. And so, and it's enterprise, right? And we, in April, we want, we launched the enablement cloud. That was more of a positioning slash storytelling type, type exercise where, where Lethemly, Lethemly was more around the ethos of the company. Seismic's more around the product. There's one, uh, connection between the two though and it's making the customer the hero and that's we we did that lessonly very effectively and we're doing that at seismic and uh i cannot like that was one of exact targets values is make the customer the hero and i have forever i will forever build that into my marketing strategy because they they're your best salespeople. And the storytelling needs to come from them. They're the one using the product. Sometimes you need to be a little bit more forward looking than the customer wants to admit, which is where, you know, the exec team and product marketing play into that. So you can be more, more, more futuresque when you're, when you're talking about the future of the product. But that's kind of how I think you tell the story through your employees and you tell the story through the customer and then the product, depending on, depending on the business. But again, I have a hard time applying a playbook to anything because everybody's different. Every business is different. Leslie's different. G2 is different. Seismic's different. It's all different products, different go-to-market strategies, different people. But that's how we approached it at Leslie and Seismic. Love it. And make the customer the hero. Start with that in your storytelling approach and, and you can't go wrong. Thank you, Kyle. Amanda and then Sangram would love to learn uh, about your storytelling approaches. Yeah, I mean, I love the making the customer the hero. Like that's just, it's actually, a lot of us say it. I don't see it really done really well. Yeah. I mean, I definitely saw that with Lessonly. I mean, it's just, it feels different, right? I mean, and of course, G2, the authentic voice of the customer, but it does feel different when you hear it from your customer. And the magic is how do you actually tap into that and leverage it for storytelling? Um and that balance of authenticity and control. I mean, as marketers, it's it, that's that's not always easy. Um, I I think learning from your customers and and heroing them is a really good component of it and critical. I think the other thing is, and if I could go back to like, how do you launch products? That question you asked before, um, and kind of figure out who and what. Um, we tried we tried this recently, and I've done this in a past life where 
we actually asked product and product marketing to write the story of a new product we're launching. Um, and we asked them to do it in two different ways. Um, I said, I want you to write the press release. We haven't written a line of code. I want you to write the press release and I want you to pitch it to our executive team. And I just want to see which one like works better. And of course they were totally different stories. I, I read the press release and I was like, okay, here's where I have some questions. And then they came and they pitched it and, and it was awesome. And now they're building it, right? But it was sort of like, well, you've talked to a bunch of customers and they had, they've done, you know, we, we really practice what we preach and we listen to our customers and we iterate with them. Um, you tell us what the story should be. And it was just, I, so I think sometimes like, I guess my thought there, and it's a, it's a learning I've had, but I feel like I really, I didn't tell the story. They told the story. The teams told the story of what they heard from the customer and came back and said, this is, this is what we think we're building. And it's awesome. Um, but I guess that's just a, let your customer be the hero and then tell your, you know, give your team some exercises and storytelling. They might surprise you. So, uh, and great. I love, and I love that you make them, yeah, build a story before you launch the product more often than not product is building something on a Friday, they'll give it to you and say, launch it Monday. And you're like, what? Mm -hmm. uh, so the fact that you actually craft the story based on listening to the actual customer and then use that story to go build working yeah. backwards. Oh, that is absolutely well, and the, and the brilliant. product and marketing team did it together. Like I would never know who did which slides. Like it was great. It and was just, so that's a that's shout great. out to our product marketing team. Yeah. Interlock at its finest. Sangram, uh, you're, you're one of the, the better storytellers out there. I flip your funnel, you know, using that to, to tell the story for Terminus. What is your approach to narrative design and storytelling? Well, there's, there's so many thoughts going to the one, <laughs> the one, one thing that maybe I we could land, I, I could land on is this whole phrase that, that we created that without a community, you're simply a commodity. Um, and it holds true now more than ever. Uh, there are eight, if anybody has looked at stock brinkers, 8,000, 10,000 companies out there, like how are people buying? People are cutting back. People are not buying all the software out in the world just because you have a software and maybe it's all something good. Like it's so hard to get out there. It's so hard. You could take all day long with the best product in the world and nobody would ever listen to it. And, and therefore, I feel like one of the best things you could do to validate that you're solving a real problem is actually building a community source. And in, in many ways, that's what we ended up doing at Terminus. We didn't have 100 customers before we did our first flip by flow conference. We actually had 10. And, and we did the first conference and there's 300 people showed up and we closed 10 more in that, that particular event. But we looked like we had the whole tribe and we understood or had the pulse of the problems. And, and it really gave us legs and ropes to grow after that. So I strongly believe that if we can figure out a great picture of success for people to see that that's the promised land, I want to go there. And in those forms say like, let's, let's do this as a community. You will get your customers from the community because even before they buy from you, they're going to evangelize about you. And that's what you want. You want people who want the hoodie, right? Like what Kyle said, like, you know, you're talking about, you want the hoodie, even though you're not a customer, you want evangelizers out there. So I, I think about this all the time, like how do you build community? And if you don't have a community, the challenge is you're simply a commodity. Oh, love it. It pains me to make this the last question, but we do have to come to a close here. And so I have one more for each of you. Same question, each of you. I'm going to keep it broad. And if you can give me your 30 to 60 second answer, that would be fantastic. 
how do you brand Kyle, brand Amanda, brand Sangram, how are you helping companies win? Uh, let's start with Amanda. It's a big question. Uh, the first thing that came up for me was clarity. I just, I think that's a, just a critical job of a CMO. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm just going to stick with clarity. I mean, I, I yeah, that's I, it. I'm going to stick with one word <laughs> answer. I'm going to stick with the one answer too. Empathy. I feel like marketing because yeah. we're central to, to, uh, pretty much all the workings of a company. We're more empathetic to the employee, to the customer, uh, to the market. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Oh, going that way, I'll just go with one acronym that uh, that we all have talked Rapidu. about. Revenue, revenue, revenue. No, it's really that. Uh, going back to clarity, alignment, and team. Uh, I think that's ultimately what what every organization needs more now than ever before. If you think there's a lot of chaos going on right now, those are I keep going back to those things. Are we clear where we're going? Are we aligned on what we need to do? And do we have the people that can get it done? Yeah, we answer those questions. Nine out of 10 times, you're going to go where you need to go. Oh, love it. Clarity, empathy, and you need a cat. Okay. <laughs> a real cat. Listen, Amanda, Kyle, Sangram, thank you so much, as always, for being so generous uh, with your time and your insights. I learn something every time we chat, truly. So I appreciate this. Have yourself a wonderful rest of the Friday and then weekend. And I'm sure... I'll be annoying you very, very soon to, to appear on another show webinar for the product marketing community. Thank you as always for helping out our product marketing friends. Take care. All right. Thank Good you. to see y'all. Thank you.